Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. And then I saw a new heaven and new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and the twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and as high as it was long. The angel measured the wall with human measurement And it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. 
The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper. The second, sapphire. The third, agate. The fourth, emerald. The fifth, onyx. The sixth, ruby. The seventh, chrysolite. The eighth, beryl. The ninth, topaz. The tenth, turquoise. The eleventh, jacinth and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will the gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it. Nor will anyone who does and nor does nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Natalie. No, that was a long passage, but I really wanted for us to read it in all of its entirety. This is winding up our series. Um, we've been exploring Christ in His glory. The empire, themes of empire and kingdom, we've been exploring that invitation to allegiance to Christ. We've been exploring the end of all things, or maybe the beginning. (laughs) I was going to talk about the senses and all of those things, but Pete stole that bit of my talk from me, so thanks, Pete. (laughs) You can thank him. That means my talk is going to be shorter, but I, I think that One interesting thing about when we look at those statistics and we look at the trajectory of things, it gives us a picture of a a culture that is on a journey and shifting, and they're thinking around, what is a good life? What kind of destiny am I looking forward to? What kind of destination am I looking for? What's my vision of the wonderful life? Because we are all at kind of an, at, at a conscious or an unconscious level on a journey to the destination of our dreams. Somewhere deep inside of us, we have this vision of a good life. And we set our hearts and our lives, our behavior in that direction. And that picture that we have automatically shapes the way that we live in the present. The decisions we make, how we spend our time and our money. Determined by the sense of our future. We inhabit this culture that's been rocked by the pandemic. It's shuddering in the midst of economic uncertainties and feels like there's these uncontrollable external forces on their lives. A culture whose hope for the future maybe extends towards, I'm just going to get to Friday. Thank God Friday's coming. Or a hope for the future of like, if I can just get to Christmas... And then I've got my annual leave planted, and I can just sit down and put up my feet. That's the telos. That's the the desired, hoped-for future that they have. Or maybe the hope for my future is that England might beat Senegal tonight. (laughs) 
the temptation in our own lives and certainly the temptation that we're seeing worked out in our culture is a spirituality focused on itself as the ultimate end. For those of us who are disciples, for those of us who are apprentices of Jesus, what is our vision for the good life? What's our future hope? What is our ultimate destiny and our final destination? What will heaven be like? I asked a couple of kids in our congregation to make us, I just I texted some kids and said, can you draw me a picture of heaven? And so they, they did, and they, we've got a couple little videos here of their pictures of heaven. So, um, God is playing in a bucket and spade, and um, he's play, also playing with children, children relaxing, and the, and the sun's always hot, and the water's always warm. <laughs> so we've got nice green grass. And we've got a tree and beautiful flowers and they're all beautifully growing because we've got the rays of sunlight and then God and he's telling stories to all the children and the children are listening and like believing and then we've got the sun and a nice and it's all warm and there's never any rain or thunder. <laughs> never any rain or thunder. I love how God is labeled in that final picture. <laughs> what is heaven like? We don't know, do we? We don't know. We hope, we speculate, we dream, we get these glimpses, we get these pictures. John got a picture on the Isle of Patmos. He went into vision. He got a picture of what heaven could be like, a picture of what the future holds. Revelation 21, verse 1, he says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, not the end of all things, but the beginning of all things, not the end of creation, but the beginning of creation. Eugene Peterson comments on this verse, the biblical story began quite logically with the beginning, in the beginning, Genesis. Now it draws to an end, not quite so logically, also with a beginning. The sin-ruined creation of Genesis is restored in the sacrifice-renewed creation of Revelation. And so what's this new heaven? What's this new earth that we see coming down out of the clouds? John sees a city. He sees a city. I was born in Vancouver. Anybody ever been to Vancouver? Right, that's a little slice of heaven. Anybody? You got oceans. You got mountains. You've got beautiful city, wonderful culture, great sushi. You know, little slice of heaven. <laughs> so when I think of cities, I've always lived in cities, and um, I have got good visions in my mind. I, I, I love cities, but we need to look at these scriptures, and we need to interpret the scripture in the biblical mindset of the people of the day. And cities were not good news for first century Christians. Cities across the biblical narrative are, are built in the attempt to make our own world apart from God. Take Babel, for example. We will build something for ourselves. And I wonder, actually, how much things have changed. The, um, I did a trip a few years ago. My, my mother, God bless her, on my 40th birthday, paid for me to go to Israel and then go to Paris. Kind of nice, eh? <laughs> 
And uh, it was, I loved the wilderness of Israel. It's fantastic just being in the Sea of Galilee. My favorite spot was En Gedi, the wilderness of En Gedi, this, this sort of, this, this cliff with streams and rivers coming down. It was fantastic. And the Dead Sea, it was just a beautiful testament to the glory of God. And then I went to Paris. And I saw a testament to the glory of man. And it was a stark contrast for me. I wonder how much of things have changed. I think about New York City. New York City was actually founded to be a place without religion. People came to New York City to be free from the sway and the influence of religion. And for the first 15 years of that city, there was not a single church in it. The city. And this book of Revelation was written primarily for believers struggling in cities, struggling as a marginalized people on the, in the edges of the empire who were being persecuted and were suffering. Cities weren't good news for them. And then John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and it looks like a city coming down, a city coming from heaven. A city whose builder and architect is God. What does heaven look like? Let's just take a a couple of minutes to look at the city. What's in it, first of all? Let's look at what's not in it. And so the passage, the writer says, well, what's not in it is the sea. What's not in the city? There's no sea. I'm like, wait a second. No, I was born in Vancouver. I like the sea. (laughs) The sea is amazing. The sea is beautiful. You got waves. You got, you know, it was interesting. One of the little videos of of one of our children was like, there's water, there's sun. We like the sea. But again, we have to view the scripture through the eyes of first century Christians. And throughout the biblical narrative, the sea was the place of chaos. The sea was darkness. Leviathan was in the deep. So in the city, the new city, There's no chaos, there's no flood, there's no leviathan, there's no typhoons, there's no earthquakes, there's no tidal waves, there's no natural disasters. Can I get an amen? There's no sea in the city. John goes on to say there is no tears, no death, no mourning, no crying, and no pain. Because you know what? As far as we advance technologically, we cannot escape pain and suffering, can we? Every single one of us has experienced pain and suffering. And you know what? None of us get off this planet alive, do we? There's no escaping death. But in the city, there is no death. There's no sin. There's no murder. There's no idolatry. There's no lying. And I, you know, it's, it's tempting for us to go, oh yeah, there's none of other people doing that stuff. That's great. God, you're going to protect me from the sin of others. You know what? I'm really grateful that there's going to be a time in my life, afterlife, where I don't have to struggle with my own sinful tendencies anymore. Right? Where I don't have to constantly battle against myself wanting to be the center of my own little universe with the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. What a relief. We're going to be free of that, you guys. There'll be no sin. And actually, even though there's gates in the city, those gates are going to be open. There's going to be no closed gates. 
city gates back when that was written were the place that protected you from the alien, protected you from the stranger, protected you from external hostile forces. And we're going to live in an age where we don't have to put ourselves behind walls. Actually, I, when, I, when I moved here, <laughs> I moved from Canada, and I moved from a front porch culture. We all sat on our front porch here, porches. And then I moved to the UK, which is all I saw were hedges of protection. <laughs> where our homes are our castles. You know what? We're going to live in a city that we don't have to try and keep people out. Our hearts, our lives will be open, and, and, and the nation of Israel in that city will step into its destiny to be a blessing to all nations, to all peoples. John goes on to say, in the city, there is no temple. And this is really, for me, where it gets quite interesting. Verse 22 said, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord Almighty... And the Lamb are its temple. And the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And the Lamb is its lamp. So we're talking about a new Jerusalem coming out of the clouds. In the the Jewish mindset, they could not conceive of a Jerusalem without the temple. They couldn't conceive of the city where they would inhabit without the tangible manifest presence of God in it. And I think it's so interesting because the angel takes John on a little journey, right? And he measures it out, doesn't he? Let's just measure this city. We're going to measure it, and it's 12,000 stadia by 12,000 stadia. It's actually um, 1,400 miles. That's a big city. (laughs) It was a long walk with that angel. Anyway, he's measuring it out. And, and the actual dimensions don't really matter except the number matters. Because in the, in the scriptures, particularly in the book of Revelation, these numbers are symbolic. And the number 12 is a symbolism of completeness, of fulfillment, of all of God's promises being fulfilled. That's the measurement of the city. But then, and this is for me where it got really interesting because they measured the length of it. They measured the width of it, and then they measured the height of it. And you see that the city itself is a cube. And we realize what the biblical writer, what John is pointing towards, is not your regular old city, because they knew about another cube that was the same wide and length and height, and they called it the Holy of Holies within the temple. This place of God's presence. So the city that's coming down, what the writer is saying, the theologians assert that what the writer is saying is that the Holy of Holies is coming down. So this place where one priest could go in one time a year with bells attached and a rope on his leg, just in case he wasn't pure enough to get drug out afterwards that he'd drop dead in God's presence, right? There was this Holy of Holies that wasn't accessible to hardly anybody, This city is going to come down, and God himself is going to be our God. We're going to be his people. We get to live in the holy of holies. We get to live into into God's presence. I can't even wrap words around it, you guys. How many of you are tired of looking through a mirror dimly and long to see God face to face? Anybody besides me? 
How many of you are hungry for more of God than you are experiencing right now? There is a city coming. And we will live there. And it's not like, it's not going to be the pictures of like God's on a throne and we're standing in front of the throne. We see that in Revelation 5. That's heaven as it's standing now. But we're talking about a new heaven, right? A new heaven where actually it's going to be hard to figure out where God ends and we begin because we're going to stand in his presence face to face in the middle of the city. If God's the city and we're in the middle, it's not like God's there and we're here. Do you know what I'm saying? The writer of scripture says, in him we live and move and have our being. And this thing that we're experiencing in bits and pieces and fragments. Now, we are going to see one day and we're going to experience union with God in a way that we cannot even comprehend. This is our destination. This is what's coming down for us. There's going to be no sun. There's going to be no moon. Because the lamb is the lamb. So that's what's not in the city. We're talking about what is in the city now. We've already established that God is there. And then the writer says that in addition to God himself, his glory will be there. And glory, that word doxa, means the heaviness of God's self-manifestation. God revealing God in a weighty way. God's glory will be there. The glory of the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world God's presence there's glory in the city interestingly there's also stuff in the city there's there's gems and there's walls and there's gates there's materiality so it's not going to be floating on a fluffy cloud you guys it's not what John is describing to us there is a place so we we're not otherworldly people we are new worldly people we're not free from materiality or creatureliness we will have resurrection bodies but we are freed from materiality and creatureness that is subject to decay i'm i'm on the other side of 50 i'm very aware that my body is subject to decay anybody with me <laughs> i can feel them in my brain cells dying every single day <laughs> But we're going to go from glory to glory. We're going to be a new creation, a new people in God's presence. That's what's waiting for us. It says, too, that the nations are going to be in that city. And that is really radical for the Jews of the day because they thought, well, we're God's chosen people. But the invitation to all nations, all ethnic groups, all the peoples of the earth... Every single one of them bearing the image of Christ. There's going to be nations in the city. Can you imagine, can you imagine what the music's going to be like? It, it's, it's going to be pretty cool, I think. I think we might be surprised. I can't wait, actually. We, we did at the 24-7 gathering in October. Our worship team was from South Africa. And, uh, and so you probably talked about it already, didn't you? And, and we got to sing in other languages led by other peoples. And it was just glorious. I can't wait. I cannot 
way. The nations will be in the city. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into the city. Ancient kings, they served as the primary authorities and their bearers and the representations of their culture. So the city is going to be full of all of these disparate, beautiful, multifaceted cultures of all these peoples. It is going to be glorious. And the city is going to be full of creativity because God is always and will always make new things. And God is always and will always invite us to co-create with him. We are not going to be sitting on a cloud twiddling our thumbs. Hallelujah. I'm a type A personality. I just couldn't do it. <laughs> but, uh, we shall reign with God. Dallas Willard says this in the divine conspiracy. We will not sit around looking at one another and God for eternity, but will reign with him in the endlessly ongoing creative work of God. It is for this that we were each individually intended as both kings and priests. His plan is for us to develop right now as apprentices to Jesus to the point where we can take our life in the ongoing creativity of the universe. You are training for heaven right now. You are being discipled into it. And then finally... In the city, there is life, the river of the water of life, the river flowing from the city. And in Revelations 22, we actually goes on to talk about the tree of life there as well. There is life in the city, eternal life. This place where God himself is our final destination, where God himself is our ultimate the destination, this place where Jesus speaks from saying, look, I am making all things new. Does that sound good to you? Anybody excited about that? <laughs> we need to hold this in our imagination. We don't think about it. I think we're afraid that if we're so heavenly minded that we won't be any earthly good, right? I think if I think about where it's all going, then I won't be able to, be, to really engage where I am in the here and now. I'm, I'm quite pragmatic. I want to engage where I am in the here and now. And historically, the church has struggled with this. Different streams of the church have, have focused so much on what's to come that essentially they just kind of keep their head down because they know someday something's going to happen and it's just going to get better. And it's been a struggle in the church across the ages. But this is where I get so excited that I'm part of the 24-7 prayer movement where Emmaus Road, where we're part of this movement that because we are... We're not a, just going to put my head down, just waiting for the end. That's not who we are. We are a your kingdom come people. We are a your will be done people. Let heaven come. Let heaven come. That is who we are as a people. That's who we are as a church. And so as we're stepping towards this reality, this final day when God makes all things new, we wrestle and we work and we welcome. We wrestle with our own sin, taking off the old man and the old woman and, and, and clothing ourselves with Christ. We try and just go, okay, I'm going to try and be slightly less selfish today. We wrestle with ourselves. 
We work, we work to combat suffering, addressing the needs of a world in pain. This church, this congregation is full of justice champions, extraordinary men and women on the front line of human trafficking and, and climate justice and, and uh, at, at the lighthouse and mediation and third world countries. I mean, this church is unbelievable, you guys. God has pointed you towards the wounds of the world and invited you to join him to make it new. And many of you have said yes. So we work. And we welcome. We combat the forces in our culture that would other the other. Say, oh, no, you're not like me. I'm just going to keep you over there. I'm going to stay over here. Whatever in our culture that gives us that fear of the stranger. We choose to posture ourselves with open minds and open hearts. Radical hospitality. To receive the gift of the other with joy as they bear the image of God. We wrestle. We work. We welcome. And we celebrate and we create and we co-labor. We receive the gift of one another. We receive the gifts of the nations we receive the gifts of different cultures. We create, we bring order out of chaos. We cultivate a culture in this place and beyond this place in our worlds, whatever our circle of influence is. A culture that reveals and declares the beauty and the glory of God. And finally, we co-labor with Christ as he make all things new. And so heading into the season of Advent, we get to actively participate in the apocalypse. <laughs> we get the great unveiling. You know, there's this great unveiling at the end of the age, but there's this great unveiling as Christ in you, in each and every one of you, the hope of glory. It's unveiled in the lives of one another, in your families, in your friends, in your neighborhood, in your schools, in your workplace with Jesus is revealed in his goodness and in his glory. And I think um, I was going to do something slightly meditative. Meditative. Um, <laughs> I was going to read through that passage again and get us to kind of visualize it. But, but actually, when we do that worship song, yours is the kingdom, yours is the glory. I think what I'd love for us to do in this season of Advent is to lean into it like the people of prayer that we are. And to stand together and to sing together and say, God, yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. We are going to call forth. We are going to cry out, come, Lord Jesus, until we see that city come down. Let heaven come. Can we do that? Maybe we can even hasten the day of its coming through our prayers and through our songs. Let's stand together. Worship team, come on up, take us through that.